Ready to go. Actually, now I'm really tired. <laughs> I did the opposite effect. <laughs> Tried to pump me up. Now I just wasted all my energy. Oh, no. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hello, Ashley. Hello. We're here. We're here. The dog days of winter. <laughs> I know, and I apologize if my cough comes out during this episode. Yeah, again. the soundtrack of runny noses <laughs> and, and sniffles and coughs. <laughs> yeah, there it is. The worst part is it gets activated when I laugh, which oh, is all Oh, that's not good. Yeah, bad. Very bad. <laughs> so try, try to keep your... Uh, uh, quote-unquote jokes to a minimum. Quote-unquote, how <laughs> dare you. Um, but that really lays well into yes. our drink this week. Yeah, what's on tap, Zach? So we're uh, having hot toddies because yes. uh, I don't know if it's science or not, but I'm pretty sure these heal common colds. I think, I think Grandma was right about that one. I think so, too. So uh, <laughs> we've got some some whiskey, some tea, some honey. Very soothing. Yeah. So All right. Cheers. Cheers to you not getting me sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and who are we talking to this week? This week, we are talking to Michael Schulmuller. She works in pastoral care at St. Michael's Church in Prior Lake, Minnesota, and she recently got to go see the Pope. Yeah, she was part of a delegation of young adults who accompanied their bishops uh, on what's called the ad limina visits to Rome. So this is uh, where bishops are required to go meet with the Pope every five years. Yeah, so those, those happen all the time, but it is very rare, maybe unprecedented, for bishops to bring a delegation of young people, which the bishops in um, St. Paul and Minnesota and the surrounding diocese did. 25 young people got to go travel travel on pilgrimage with their bishops for like two weeks and then get to meet the Pope. So we wanted to talk to Michael about what that was like. Yeah, big things come out of St. Paul, Minneapolis. But first... Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. And our first story um, comes from a town hall meeting hosted by Fox News, where Kristen Day, the head of the group Pro-Life Democrats, had a question for Pete Buttigieg, the Democratic presidential hopeful. Yeah, she asked him if uh, he wanted the support of voters like her, uh, so pro-life Democrats, and if he would be open to moderating the Democratic Party platform to make it more inclusive of more nuanced uh, views on abortion, but also pro-life views on abortion. Right. And Mayor Buttigieg, the former mayor of uh, South Bend, Indiana, said that he respected where Kristen Day was coming from and that he hopes to earn her vote, but that he also was not going to trick her by saying he's anything but pro-choice. Yeah, and she uh, she pushed him on the question about uh, changing the party platform um, because right now it is very um, very hardline. Um, it prohibits or it calls for federal funding for abortions uh, here and abroad, um, as well as uh, no restrictions up through nine up months. Through nine, which nine months, which is a change that was a change that was made in 2016 to the party platform. In earlier iterations of the platform, there had been language that said, you know, we recognize that this is an issue that voters have very complex and different opinions on and there's room in the party for all of those people and that that has kind of disappeared as you know the members of congress who identify as pro-life democrats has also shrunk into just a handful yeah and mayor pete did not necessarily give a straight answer on that but he, he sort of defaulted to supporting whatever the party was going to decide and they will write a new uh platform um later this summer so we will see but it does not look good for um at least including pro-life voices in the language. 
Right, which kind of relates to our next story, right, Zach? That's right. So dovetailing this, uh, also last week, President Trump was the became the first sitting U.S. president to attend the March for Life in person. So you probably know about the March for Life. It is the uh, annual protest in Washington, D.C., marking the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court case that legalized abortion nationwide. Um, and so previous presidents, Republican presidents, have um, phoned in, but Trump was the first one to be there in person, and he said that he was honored to be there. Yeah, he was. In his speech, he also attacked Democrats as, embrace, as embracing radical and extreme positions on abortion um, and praised those attending the event, saying that unborn children have never had a stronger defender in the White House. Yeah. And and we should say there were other speakers at, at the rally, um, including some pro-life Democrats. Um, Katrina Jackson, a Democratic state senator from Louisiana, and Louisiana First Lady Donna Hudo Edwards, the wife of the state's pro-life Democratic governor. But their speeches were kind of, you know, understandably overshadowed by the fact that Donald Trump was at the rally. Yeah, and we had uh, two of our colleagues there, Kevin Jackson and Vivian Cabrera, and we were talking to Vivian about this, and she said that basically after the president spoke, um, people kind of just left the rally and started marching, and meanwhile you had uh, sort of the other side of uh, the partisan divide speaking next. Right. Um, And so... We kind of had a similar discussion about this when Trump addressed the uh, rally a couple of years ago via satellite. satellite. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, what it, what was your reaction and what do you think the you know long term effects of his of the pro-life movement really embracing Donald Trump, who is a divisive figure in the country? Um, on What's the effect on the movement? Yeah, I think both of these stories just kind of like fill me personally with a lot of sadness. Um, I was president of my pro-life club in college. Um, I also don't think anyone would be surprised by saying that I, uh, if you follow me on Twitter or other areas, that I am not within the Republican Party. I think it's fair to say. Um, And so someone with my views finds this really disheartening, right? Because on the one hand, there are a lot of people saying like, Shouldn't we be able to just be excited about the fact that the president of the United States is acknowledging this giant event? Right. Because I I can kind of get in the shoes of someone who has, you know, gone to this march for years and have to have their efforts lifted up and recognized by not not specifically Donald Trump, by, but the the office of the presidency like that. You know, that's going to bring the media that is going to yeah. bring attention. It's going to, you know, amplify the message they're trying to get out. But if we zero in on specifically Donald Trump, right? that, for me, just seems to embody all of the worst things people think about the pro-life movement right. in terms of hypocrisy about other moral issues. Like, this is someone who has not been pro-life across the board, like, unequivocally. Um, and so I have real concerns about what this does for the movement going forward. Right. Like, if you were, if you were an undocumented person, like, would At you feel... March comfortable being at the march no definitely i mean i don't know but i would assume no (laughs) yeah so i like i would love for the democratic party to be a big tent party that made me as a pro-life person feel welcome i would love the the pro-life movement to be similarly big tent in a way i think it used to be more so um and it would be much more successful going forward if it was. Yeah, I worry about the the long-term effects of this. The short answer is we don't know what the long-term effects are, right? But, I mean, what I think is going to happen is that as all of these young people who attend the march go off to college, 
right? And sort of change their political views a little bit. And as often happens, people become more, I mean, they move to the left in college. And I feel like they're not going to be able to hold on to this pro-life identity they formed in college because they're going to associate it so strongly with President Trump. What's our next story, Ashley? All right. Big kind of a change in (laughs) subject here. Uh, This past Sunday was the first official Sunday of the Word of God. This past September, Pope Francis declared that the third Sunday in ordinary time was to be set aside for, quote, the celebration, study, and dissemination of the Word of God. Yeah, who says Catholics don't read the Bible? (laughs) The Pope. Evidently, the Pope (laughs) thinks we need to read it more. So uh, um, Francis, uh, in his letter when he announced this, indicated uh, some ideas for how local communities might celebrate. Um, so he proposed maybe maybe the homilies devoted to talking about scripture. I mean, in a more me- meta oh, sense. <laughs> right, yeah. So not, not just the readings, but yeah. like the importance of scripture. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, bishops could celebrate the right of installation of lectors or a similar commissioning of readers. Oh, um, I'd like that. I'm a yeah. lector. I never got commissioned by the bishop. Yeah, that would be really nice. Yeah. Um, also, maybe renew some training efforts. I um, could probably use training. Probably use some training. Not saying I'm, <laughs> I haven't heard you read in a while, but, um, and also this was kind of a, my favorite one is he encouraged pastors to give away copies of the Bible. Um, and Francis, when he was celebrating the Sunday, didn't do all of these things, but he did devote his homily to the importance of integrating scripture into our lives. Yes. He said, each day, let us read a verse or two of the Bible. Let us begin with the gospel. Let us keep it on our table, carry it in our pocket, read it on our cell phones and allow it to inspire us daily. His reference to cell phones. I don't know. I was just kind of like, <laughs> really, Francis? No, I thought it was nice. Like, oh, no, it saying... is nice. I just I, I know someone else put that in for him because he's notoriously <laughs> anti. Yeah, he's not reading it on his phone. I don't yes, think. But he's recognizing the reality of most people who, you know, it is a very convenient way to access scripture. I can't say I do it a lot. I I've yet to find a Bible app that's like really worked for me. Yeah. Um, I know that they exist. I just haven't put in the time to research it. I'd be curious if listeners, if you have a favorite Bible app, uh, please let us know. Yes, that would be helpful. Um, but my favorite part about uh, <laughs> this past Sunday was that Pope Francis did take his own advice as pastor and he gave out Bibles to everyone in attendance, including all the cardinals that were there. It's just, which makes sense. Don't know sense. what he's implying. Right. It would have been worse if he he had like left them out. But yeah. like, it was just like a, a nice moment. Yeah. It's like, oh, we all need to read more scripture, not just, you know, those of us lay people. <laughs> yep. What is our next story, Zach? So our next one is a sad one. So this past Sunday, NBA legend Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others were killed uh, when their helicopter crashed into the steep hillsides um, in Southern California. Um, he was 41, and his sudden death has sort of led to this outpouring of like public grief um, uh, for this this celebrity who who really transcended basketball. I think. Yeah, no, I it was striking. I mean, I I knew who he was, but I was not. I'm not a huge NBA basketball fan. Um, but you know, I was I was really saddened by this news. You just turned on your phone or the TV and and it wasn't just the sports community or the Catholic community. It was everyone. And they kind of like melded. Like I heard I saw people talking about his Catholic faith and like their time seeing him at mass um, and kind of how moving it was for them. People really I mean, especially if I don't I think if you aren't a sports fan and you, you still felt affected by this, wanted to have some type of connection. Right. And like obviously sharing in the Catholic faith with someone. um, it, that 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 is the whole connection we profess, right? Like he was part of our body of Christ. Yeah, and I saw a lot of people um, sharing about experiences where they happened to 
catch a glance of Kobe Bryant at mass. There's a sister who worked at a, a, a like a rectory store and he came in to buy a rosary for his wife. And so clearly people wanted to connect with him on that level or own him in some way. I don't know. It seems very Catholic. Like, you know, we believe in the communion of saints. It's like yeah. we, we are connected in some way that we don't completely understand, but we kind of want to name it in times like this. Yeah. Another part of the story that is tough to talk about is that Kobe was also someone who was charged with rape in 2003. Um, it was a charge that was ultimately dropped. Um, his accuser did not want to testify in court, uh, but a civil case was pursued and it concluded in an undisclosed settlement. Right. And so this led to discussions about, you know, what is the right way to, to cover, to memorialize, to grieve a celebrity um, who, who is who is loved um, and who has achieved amazing things um but is not an uncomplicated person and has this rape allegation hanging over him uh, especially in the me too era where you know we have learned that it's <laughs> you can imagine this case having gone differently yeah if it happens in 2017 even. yeah right how did how did you think about that i don't i don't know what i kind of came away with is that it's all right to sort of affirm your feelings and other people's feelings in times like this, right? You don't, feelings of sadness, you mean? Yeah, or whatever they were. Yeah. Like, you don't have to feel... If you were sad, you don't have to feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. um, you also don't need to feel bad for remembering him in his totality and being mindful of how his accuser might be feeling in, the, in light of this and also mm -hmm. how people, uh, uh, survivors of sexual assault might be feeling with all this discussion, right? Like, yeah. you can and should hold both of those in tension, right? Like... This there's no blueprint for how to talk about this. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like I personally like at a time like this, my instinct is not to focus on the worst thing this person has ever done. But, you know, I'm not a survivor of sexual assault. And so I so belittling someone for wanting wanting to, you know, bring that up yeah. and and talk about that at this moment. I don't think it's any place to, you know to say no that you know it, it's inappropriate to speak ill of the dead like no like <laughs> it, it's a complicated he had a complicated life and he's going to have a complicated leg legacy and it's worth acknowledging that even right afterwards so conversations like this are are tough to do and when we don't know how to do these things oftentimes prayer is helpful i was really moved by uh a prayer that we published on america uh sort of about Kobe Bryant and all of the difficulties surrounding this. Uh, so we thought it was would be a nice way to sort of conclude the story is read that. Yeah. So this came from um, Ali Wayne. He's an immigrant organizer originally from Senegal, and he's on the steering committee of the Syracuse Peace Council. Um, and he posted this on Facebook. And now we're going to share it with you. I think Kobe Bryant meant a lot to many of us black folks for complicated reasons. I also believe he got away with rape. I also think he was a great dad. I also think he was one of the greatest players to play the game. I also think his promotion of women's basketball in the WNBA was admirable and forward-thinking. I also loved his aerial artistry. I also know that sexual assault survivors will be triggered and traumatized by this public lionization. I also know that even though I resented his seeming selfishness and political apathy in his early years, he grew into a type of maturity in his personal life and in his philanthropic endeavors that surprised me in a positive way. As he grew older, he grew bolder in his political visibility in ways that I appreciated. Seeing him rock the I Can't Breathe t-shirt to commemorate Eric Garner's assassination by the police heartened me. 
I also don't think this erases the deep trauma he caused. I also believe in healing, growth, and redemption. I also cried when I heard he died. Because feelings are not political agendas, and many of these celebrities are intertwined in our memories in ways that bypass our frontal cortex. I'm looking at you, Michael Jackson. I remember where I was when Kobe, the athlete, insert great athletic achievement here. I also know that the ability to compartmentalize is a luxury of the privileged. And as someone who has not been sexually abused, I have privilege. I also know that his child died with him and that she deserved a longer life. I also mourn for his family. I also hold his survivor and other sexual assault survivors in the light tonight. I also know that the basketball fan in me will miss him. This is hard to process. Please be gentle as best you can. And if this reflection hurts or offends, I also believe that as an imperfect human being, like all of us, I will hurt and harm people I love. Because such is life, and life is very, very short. Joining us via Skype is Michael Schulmuller. Michael works in pastoral care at St. Michael's Church in Prior Lake, Minnesota, and she was part of a delegation of young adults who accompanied their bishops on their ad limina visit to Rome to meet Pope Francis. Welcome to Jesuitical. Thank you for having me. So you are on a pilgrimage with your Archbishop, Archbishop Ebda, and an auxiliary bishop, Bishop Cousins. And I imagine you're spending a lot of time with them as it tends to happen on pilgrimages. Uh, how well did you know them before this? And had you known any bishop in this capacity before this? Well, fortunately, we have a really wonderful archdiocese with bishops who are very engaged with the community. So I have spent significant time with Archbishop Hebda. I've seen Bishop Cousins prior to this, but this was definitely far more intimate. You know, when you have to kill three hours in Amsterdam talking about (laughs) regular stuff, I mean, that's just a unique experience. You get to learn their personal stories, you know, the call they got when they were elected bishop, things like that. It's very personal. Yeah. What kind of questions were you getting from the bishops? I assume they wanted to use this time to kind of pick your brains about the state of young people in the Catholic Church. So what were they most interested in and what did you kind of want to communicate to them? Oh, they were very open to listening. You know, we talked a lot about welcoming and the church's extremes, the traditionalist and the very progressive. You know, there was more Latin chants on this trip than I've experienced in the last 10 years. That's not my zone of Catholicism, wrong or not. That's just how it is. So we did talk about some of the churches in our archdiocese that are extremely traditional, you know, veils are present constantly, Latin chants, and then the parishes that are, you know, praise and worship music and kids are in the pews and it's very different. So we did talk about just the welcoming environment and the bishops really heard what we were saying in terms of we're watching these extreme divisions in our archdiocese and kind of how do we come to a center. So are you saying that the the two extremes sort of lead to an environment that's not welcoming or? Absolutely. Particularly the traditional, because it's so foreign, especially to those who may not have entered a church in the last few years or decades. Right. And and so what do you, what were kind of the constructive ideas coming out of this to, to 
you know, come to that center and become more welcoming? Sure. Um, we talked about kind of the ideas of, you know, having greeters, having music, not just lyrics, but the actual music and the worship aid. So people sing along, having actual programs to walk people through the mass, because it might be something they haven't done in a while. Um, some churches are better at this than others. Um, we we talked about ways in terms of creating ministry opportunities for those who aren't available on a normal schedule. I mean, not everyone can meet for coffee and playtime at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday. Most of us work. Um, you know, ministry meetings that are, you have to be there eight weeks in a row are very hard for young people. We have busy lives and it doesn't mean we're not making an effort. It's just hard to feel a part of a community when you can't get involved. Would you say you like came away friends with your bishop? Do you have his phone number? You text him about like, I'm feeling sick today. <laughs> I have his WhatsApp. His WhatsApp. <laughs> Not many people probably have their bishop's WhatsApp. So yeah, that's true. No, I feel like um, I have a, I have a unique uh, perspective. I see him quite often with working for the church. Um, my in-laws are crazy involved in this archdiocese, so they give him updates on me. So he might know I'm sick this week. I don't know. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about? what this experience meant to you, especially in an archdiocese like yours um, that is coming out of a really difficult recent uh, experience with your last archbishop, John Neinstedt, who had to resign amid what's still ongoing investigation into sexual abuse. Um, What does that context have on this new experience you had with your new bishops? It could not be more opposite. I, I worked for a different church in liturgy when Neinstead was our bishop. Uh, His personality was quite cold. His stances were quite strict. Um, He was not very engaging with staff, let alone the church community. It was very hard times. Um, Obviously, this was part of other larger issues like our own uh, sex abuse scandals. So to see this outsider, which was perfect for the timing of everything, come in, you know, a lawyer, really come in, clean house, look at the practical side of this. We've been through a bankruptcy. We've had to get rid of priests who were not as they should be. We're just seeing such change in a positive way. And he's so positive and engaging and open to hearing the struggles because some wounds will take a long time to heal. Yeah. And do you think he's so the the group that went to um, Rome, they, those are people who are already engaged in the church. They're either working for the church or in some way involved in evangelization. The quote unquote professional Catholics. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering Absolutely. Um, if if part of, you know, the conversations on this visit were how to reach Catholics who maybe are a little bit more on the margins. Yeah. Well, even within the group, you had those who were ultra involved in six different ministries. I mean, apparently there's a Catholic volleyball league. I, know, <laughs> I um, didn't know that you could play volleyball in Minnesota. Inside. <laughs> it feels like it's inside. Outside of the year. <laughs> You or more like nine months, yeah. but come on. Um, <laughs> you know, those hyper involved Catholics that just, you know, live, breathe all the time. That was not a conversation that they were having. However, many of us who are much more 
involved in a personal level, but not very active. This conversation came up a lot about our own family, our own friends who are not involved and how to get them involved. Don't, don't get me wrong. We didn't have any like poof magic. We know how to do it, but we did talk about ways of why they're leaving. And some of those issues are the social aspects and feeling that the church is very, you can't do this, you can't do that, versus look at all the wonderful things our church is and our faith is. You know, we all experience that, I think, to some extent, you know. Yeah. No, I think that's a pretty common experience. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think it's controversial to say that the bishops have lost in general a lot of credibility in recent years um sure. in the sort of new sex abuse scandal that has popped up um maybe what would you say to someone who is maybe on the margins uh or on the edge of the Catholic faith right now um about the bishops who might have a very negative view of the institutional church like cuz you just spent 2 weeks with the capital C Catholic church, right? Like ending in the Vatican. That's kind of a hard question because I think the capital church is what scares those on the margins the most. Mm -hmm. I think the small kind of connections with an active Catholic towards someone who's an inactive or non-Catholic are going to be far more important than the big picture. I hope that over time, as more and more bishops apologize and stop saying we're past this crisis, makes a difference. I think that's something that comes out of Hebda's mouth at every public event I've seen him. You know, we did not do enough. We still need to do more. Those who say we're over this really offend active Catholics and those who are on the margins, because we're not. Um... I think those on the fringes have to come back at their own time through the good works of those who are still involved. Because there are many who are still involved, but still very angry and frustrated. Time heals all wounds, I guess. Hmm. So maybe we can jump ahead now to when you actually got to meet Pope Francis, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, can you set the scene for us? What what, what was the meeting like? What were what were you guys trying to tell him, and what did you hear from Pope Francis? Sure. Well, the whole day was a bit crazy because we didn't really know what was going to happen. We knew we were going to attend a general audience. The group of nuns in front of us gave away the secret that we were going to do a photo with him. So that was kind of a, oh, exciting. Um, and then we thought we were going to be rushed as a group, stand on the stairs. He'll come in for two seconds, click, 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 done. Um, that's not what happened, obviously. Uh, once we got over there and we watched him interact with the other groups, we realized it, it clicked for all of us. We thought, oh my gosh, he is like shaking every single person's hand. He's talking to everybody. We're actually going to like meet Pope Francis, not a photo op. Wow. So when he came over to our group, he was very gracious at his time and kindness. He did interact with all of us. He was very um, kind. His English is not very strong. So he, he had a few rehearsed lines, uh, pray for me, not against me. And we learned from the archbishops, he's very, very aware of the politics in the United States and mm. those who do not support him. Um, so we were very positive towards him saying, yes, we absolutely pray for you. Um, he saw me on the end, visibly pregnant, 
And I, and he kind of looked at me and in English, to my surprise, asked me what I was due and what was the gender. Um, and then he came over and, and blessed my child. And the priest behind me was a little miffed because he didn't even get a handshake <laughs> and the woman, you know, took over the room. But, uh, in, in all in all seriousness, it was so wonderful and, and so unexpected and just an amazing moment with an amazing man. And this and it, captured on camera, right? <laughs> absolutely. You wouldn't believe the number of cameras in that room. <laughs> but this showed like, up on Pope Francis's Instagram. Like he posted oh, the much picture to of my you blessing, right? <laughs> yeah. So what was that like? When did did someone send you like, hey, you're on the Pope's Instagram? Or did you know it was coming? <laughs> oh, gosh, no. Um so the girl next to me in the photo, her mom was on Instagram, saw the photo. She showed me and I thought, that's got to be like a fan page or something. <laughs> and and then when we looked at it, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Wow. We were de- it's like a really it's a really touching photo, too. I don't know. It's a very oh, like thank you. It's a tender moment. Um, yeah. We will definitely we're going to link to that in our show notes. Um, what did you, did you say anything to him just that you would pray for him? I said, I would pray for him. I said, thank you. This is the best gift you could give us. And he, he just smiled. I, I must've cracked a joke. He was laughing. Um, I, it was kind of a fuzz at the moment. Yeah, but. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your very unique experience with, with Pope Francis <laughs> and your bishops. We do have one final question for you that we ask all of our guests. If you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I know you thought it was going to be Beth the Minnesota State Fair. but <laughs> I was hoping. I could answer that a little easier. Um you know, I don't want to speak too soon, but I'm watching our archbishop make amazing strides, and I can see him doing great things still to come. Um, and sainthood might be the icing on the cake on that one. Wow. Well, you could you can let him know in WhatsApp that you posted <laughs> for canonization today. <laughs> All right. So Saint Archbishop Bernard Ebda. All right. Cool. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to link to uh, the story of your visit that was written up and also the the photo of you and Pope Francis uh, in our show notes. Why, thank you. Thank you for joining us when you were sick. Hope you feel better. Yeah. Appreciate that. Peace. Bye, Michael. Bye. Thank you so much. housekeeping listeners you can't tell this but colleen dully the host of inside the vatican is actually producing us as we speak yeah and so we thought we this would be a good point to remind everyone to she didn't ask us to do this but we think her podcast inside the vatican hosted by herself with gerard o'connell our vatican correspondent is really really excellent if you're looking for a deeper look into vatican news and this week they are breaking down Drum roll. <laughs> Pope Francis's new secretary, Ooh. which does sounds pretty boring. Not but, like assistant. 
Yes. No, no, no. His new secretary. And it sounds pretty boring, but there is a big story behind it in terms of who this priest was when Pope Francis met him uh, and what it means for his broader ministry. So you get stories like that and more every week. Uh, Look for Inside the Vatican in your podcast feeds. And now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? So I have a consolation this week uh, talking about another podcast that we host here at America. We are looking to do uh, dramatic readings of the gospel uh, that we'll be releasing in our The Word feed uh, for Lent this year. And so as part of that, uh, different staff members have been cast as different roles uh, from people in Scripture. Um, And I'm pretty sure I'm going to kill half our audience here by announcing that I'm Jesus. Your consolation is really that you got to play Jesus Yes, it is. (laughs) Um, So, you know, if that puts you off listening to uh, the word this Lent, don't let it, I hope. I'll uh, I'll do my best. But we were recording some of the... Uh, episodes and I have always found I'm really bad at imaginative prayer and so trying to converse with Jesus in prayer has been difficult for that reason Um, but when we were recording these it was the first time I had to sit and think about oh what would Jesus's voice have been like when he was saying this to um, to Peter or to uh, Martha and you know what was he thinking what did he want to convey And sort of fusing, like, what I think Jesus was thinking with, like, my own experience of how to sound like those things just, like, really brought me into a deeper relationship with him and sort of made it, it it makes prayer easier with Jesus. And so that, I'm pretty sure, straightforward consolation. There's no, like, magic thing to that. Yeah, direct, direct line. Yeah. Funny side note. So I was playing um, or voicing uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And so, you know, she's conversing with Jesus. We're recording these separate. So Ashley and I are not. So I'm in in the studio by myself. And I'm I'm in the beginning. I'm supposed to be a little bit like sassy and annoyed. And like, you know, so I'm getting coached through this. And they're like, all right, just like imagine Zach in front of you (laughs) (laughs) as Jesus. Imagine how annoyed you would be (laughs) with Zach pretending to be Jesus. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, I'm sure that was all you need. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you have that to look forward to. <laughs> uh, anyway, Ashley, yeah. what do you have this week? It's a it's a kind of both both and messy consolation desolation. Um, so this past weekend, I was in Virginia for my sister's baby shower, and she would kill me if my consolation was not her baby shower. <laughs> so there, no pressure. That was like definitely a consoling event. Just seeing all of the love being poured out. Uh, on Jackie and this baby that's about to come into the world. Um, but I, I kind of left the event. I left the shower. It was out at my neighbor's house, went back to my parents' house. And I could just, like, feel myself, like, turning it, like, pulling myself in and turning inward. And, like, my siblings were going to over to my sister's house to, like, play games. And I was just like, ah, I just want to stay home. Like, I don't – I'll meet you guys later. And, like, I didn't – I didn't – couldn't really, like – process what was going on but I just like knew I didn't want to I wasn't I wasn't outward looking I like just wanted to be alone um and so I'm like doing dishes and my mom just like comes up to me and like puts her arm around me and is like I know like I'm not someone who usually talks about feelings and I'm not great at knowing what to say but like it seems like you're struggling um and so if you want to talk now if you want to talk later like just like if you want me to come to New York at any time just like let me know um and to be like just like seen by my mom like that 
was really, you know, I, I was in this desolate place and she could see that. And just her seeing that, even though I, I wasn't in a place where I really wanted to talk about anything, I just kind of like started crying and we hugged and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> but but just being seen um, and being and knowing that like whenever I am ready, like she's she's there for me um, and we don't really have to like talk about it now she's just always available was really nice and like i know i was like talking to father sundrip about this and he's like so do you think there's any like parallels there with your relationship with god and i was like (laughs) "Mm." you know when you can like preempt what you know eric is going to say yeah yeah so i was like yeah maybe (laughs) so yeah so yeah a little bit of both but like in the end like i think i think there was some consolation there um you know knowing that there was this unconditional love surrounding me and waiting for me and always there when i was ready to access it and pointing you towards (laughs) yeah god's unconditional love Yeah. yeah so that's that all right get us out of here all right Jesuitical is produced by Colleen Dully. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. Production help from Izzy Seneschal and Tucker Redding. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Lowshirt Studio at American Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.